Welcome to the Smart Industry Podcast, Remaking Industry, where we dive deep into the tools, techniques, and technologies that are accelerating digital transformation. All right. Thank you for joining us for the podcast today. My name is Chris McNamara, Editor-in-Chief with Smart Industry. We're thrilled to have you join us. Um, We're recording this mid-May 2023, just about two years since the Colonial Pipeline incident. And I'm sure you all remember um, that it made a lot of headlines. Um, Colonial Pipeline uh, is an oil pipeline system that originates in Texas. It carries gas and jet fuel uh, mainly to the southeastern United States. Um, back on May 7th, 2021, it suffered a ransomware cyber attack uh, on the computerized equipment managing the pipeline, and it uh, threw everyone into a panic, and there were lines for gas and all that jazz. Um, since then, we like to think that we've learned a lesson from that crisis. Uh, many people uh, have, have uh, shared their perspective on how we've changed our approach to cybersecurity since then. Other people, um, like our guest today, think that it hasn't caused uh, enough of a, uh, a change in our behavior in terms of industrial cybersecurity or cybersecurity related to utilities. So today we're going to talk to Mark Stamford. Mark is CEO with OckhamSec. Mark, thanks for joining us here today on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Nice to, uh, nice to be here. Great. We love having you here. Tell us a little bit, Mark, about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm uh, Mark Stanford. I'm the founder and CEO of OckhamSec. I founded the company just over, well, 12 years ago now. Seems like an eternity. Um, OckhamSec is primarily focused on offensive security work, so a lot of penetration testing, red teaming. Uh, we do some work in the threat intelligence space. We do some work post-instant around threat hunting and so on. And I've been in and around information security in some capacity now since I was 11, which unfortunately is 38 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and I've done a lot of I've done a lot of penetration testing and red teaming in that time. What were you doing as an 11 year old in terms of security? Well, I start. What well, I mean, I saw war games when I was 11. Um, oh yeah, and uh, it just. I was I was writing basic code on a ZX81 computer, which is this old computer that was out in the UK. And then I watched this movie and thought, hey, that that looks like that could be an interesting thing to do. And I I knew someone who had a modem. And uh, yeah, it just it just went from there. And then I sort of floated around it for a long time. I dabbled in writing malware for a while. That was a long time ago now. And then I yeah, and then I just ended up working in security and I done it ever since interesting inspired by war games i remember i was terrified by that movie uh, when i saw it, so it prompted <laughs> yeah. you to, to yeah. uh, chart a career path yeah absolutely i love it so talk to me um we're two years out now uh looking back uh what has changed with industrial cybersecurity since the colonial pipeline hack what hasn't changed why give us your perspective mark so I think that, I mean, certainly awareness of the issues in that in the industrial cybersecurity space. I mean, that's that's certainly grown since then. Right. Yeah. But I think that the awareness is probably the only thing that actually improved. Um, and I mean, and the sort of what I'm basing that on is, you know, nothing really has changed beyond that. Right. Cybersecurity is still seen for the most part as a cost of doing business. Costs of doing business usually have as little spent on them as possible. Yeah. Uh, we've also seen this, 
I mean, this began long before the Colonial Pipeline, but we've just seen more and more companies pour into the security space, right? So if you're a, if you're a buyer of solutions and services, you're inundated with options. The the pie is being sliced ever thinner, right? Nobody can really tell you what you need to do. Everything is cost prohibitive, right? So, I mean, I think the whole thing has actually grown worse since the pipeline, right? And I mean, and this is an unfortunate nature of an industry that is primarily built around helping people stay away from scary things. When scary things happen, they gain a lot of momentum to like sell more stuff and develop more stuff, but it's just not helping I mean, the way that we that we can break into environments today is is not that different from the way it was five years ago, even 10 years ago, even 20 years ago. Um, the technologies have got more complicated, but everything else is kind of the same. So I think there's been a lot of noise. There's been talk of regulation. We've got critical infrastructure and so on. But there's still not a lot of action really being taken to secure these industrial companies. Why not? I mean, firstly, I mean, cost is a big issue, right? Um, again, running a business, your goal is to make a profit, um, spending lots on security solutions that you're really sort of having a hard time to justify the ROI on, to use that awful acronym. But it, but it really is still the case, right? I mean, I remember 20 years ago being asked why we had to buy a firewall for our network. And when you're actually prompted to to answer that question in a business sense, not in a technical sense, because from a technical perspective, it's easy. But trying to justify buying this thing that may stop this thing happening, but you don't know when it's going to happen. That's a difficult conversation for most people. It hasn't got any easier. So I think that there's certainly some enthusiasm to do it. But again, I think that it's just the cost involved, the fact that, you know, what solution do I buy? Do I buy an EDR, an MDR, an XDR? Do I buy a penetration test and a red team? Do I buy purple team? I mean, what do I buy to keep myself secure? Because most of these utility companies and power companies and so on, they don't have enormous budgets. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. So they have to really be careful in where they allocate their dollars and what happens when you spend it on the wrong thing, right? So I think the enthusiasm's there. I just think that we we continue to not acknowledge the complexity of the problem, and instead we come up with simple solutions, and most of the time they don't work, which is interesting coming from a guy whose company has Occam, as in Occam's razor in its name, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what's going on. So there's a greater awareness, uh, which is good, but there's still a reluctance to to commit or to spend. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, and it's it's like, you know, what what do you focus on, right? I mean, there's I mean, so for instance, if you take something like Threat Intel, right, which has been a booming sector since then, right? I mean, threat threat intelligence should really be telling you about threats to your company, to your organization, and what you should do about them. But if you look at that for the most part, you just get lots of noise on, you know, there's a new piece of ransomware attacking this whole sector. Okay, but does it impact me? Or you get information that pertains to something that's so vague, so abstract. So a lot of the CISOs that I know, I mean, they're suffering from just a deluge of data. There's always someone who will sell you a solution to filter that data. 
but it's like, well, I bought this thing that's supposed to help me, but now I have to buy this other thing and so on. And I think there's just, I mean, I think there's a general fatigue across cybersecurity and like the larger economic environment. And I think that people just, they're just not getting answers that actually help them, right? They're being told the sky is falling. They're being told, you know, this is going to be the end of the world and so on. That doesn't happen. So you get a sort of complacency, boy who cried wolf type thing. And I think you take that, you combine that with the cost of of what you need to do. You combine that with the competing, you know, other demands that organizations have, the fact that we're in tricky economic times, right? All those things create an environment where, yeah, I'm aware there's this risk, but I'm going to ignore it until I really have to. Or what I'll do is I'll do the absolute minimum to get by, which is usually compliance. And compliance is pretty much always the lowest bar that can be set because they always start as a high idea and then they get beaten down and so on. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there is an awareness. There is probably a little bit of, you know, enthusiasm to fix it. I just think people don't know what to do and they're not getting useful answers. And meanwhile, the bad actors are evolving and getting smarter and and getting better uh, organized, correct? Yeah, I mean, the bad guys, I mean, their job is to make money, right? I mean, that's usually what they're doing or to achieve nation state ambitions, right? So it's in their best interest to continue to work out how to break what other other defenses you have. Um, Keep in mind, bad guys can buy security tools just as well as good guys can. Um, So I think if I'm a bad guy, it's in my interest to stay as ahead of the curve as I can, right? Whatever the newest security tool that you're buying, I'm going to get it, I'm going to figure out how to bypass it, and I'm going to go from there. And I'm going to find new ways to do things that you don't even know about because my my profit incentive, right, comes from breaking new, right? Right. It's completely at loggerheads to my profit incentive is to not spend any money on this security thing, right? And I think, you know, that's that's part of the issue, right? Like we are stuck in this sort of older mindset of, you know, comparisons of cybersecurity to physical security and house insurance and safes and all these things. It's it's just a different paradigm, right? We've never been in a situation where the thing that we're trying to defend ourselves against is actually going to be profitable by breaking us. And so bad guys, again, it's in their best interest to stay on top of this stuff, right? And security teams try and keep up. But if you're some network admin, you've got to do 400 things. You've got to, you know, get that new product out the door. Make sure that your, your transition to whatever cloud environment that you're going to is working. You've got to answer emails. You've got to make sure that you deliver this PowerPoint. I mean, you've got all these things going on. Whereas if I'm the bad guy, I just have to get into your network. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a uh, uphill battle. So what's the solution? Um, how do we get, big picture question for you, Mark, how do we get smarter about securing our industrial assets? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the sixty four million dollar question, right? I mean, my short answer would be like hire me to do stuff, but that's that's an awful answer. Um, I mean, I think the first thing that we have to do really is like acknowledge the complexity of this problem. Right. And in acknowledging that and saying, you know what, this is really hard. We also have to have an honest conversation about 
what works and what doesn't work, right? Because there's a lot of things that don't work. Um, so I think, you know, take those in stock and then, and then, you know, objectively look at these environments and say, what risk do they really face? A lot of what, a lot of what we actually do in conversations with clients is around context, right? Put the risk, put the threat in the context of my organization, right? The, the risk to a pipeline company is different than the risk to a water utility is different than the risk to every other type of company out there, right? Based on industry. Right. So acknowledge that. Stop trying to get this one size fits all thing, right? Because it, it, it just doesn't work, right? Every environment, I mean, when we do a penetration test, right? Or any kind of assessment, every environment is different, right? Everyone really is a, a beautiful and unique snowflake um, to a certain extent. And, and, you know, you have to take that into account, right? The EDR solution that works for you won't work for me, right? So let's, let's have an honest conversation of this, an honest assessment. If we're going to do compliance, let's make the bar high, right? Make it hard, right? But also support organizations in trying to achieve that. And also really sort of look at the, the sector as a whole and say, there's a lot of small companies out there, right? They can't afford to spend millions of dollars on cybersecurity. So give them solutions that actually work as well. Don't just give them watered down solutions that you would otherwise sell to your enterprise customers. I mean, that's that's what we have to do collectively across the entire InfoSec spectrum, um, but especially in like the industrial arena, right? Like, you know, how are you going to secure those those small oil drill companies in Texas, right? Because they're vastly different than a BP or a Shell, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what we need to work on. And and I know that, um, you know, bad actors are, are targeting smaller enterprises uh, increasingly because they're recognizing that they're more willing to pay up. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so, right? Because, I mean, they, they need to stay in business, right? Um, I mean, there were reports last year of bad actors keeping track of companies, you know, that had cyber insurance because they knew they were more likely to pay, right? Um, so I think going after the people who are more vulnerable, you know, makes perfect sense, right? You're going to pay because you can't afford downtime and you also can't afford the massive cost of instant response and cleanup. So I'm going to go after you. Again, yeah. it goes back to profit, right? What's the easiest way for me to make a buck? Right, right. Mark, last question for you here. I'm going to ask you to forecast here. Look, uh, you know, six months, one year, two year, five year, 10 years down the road. And ideally, um, cause for optimism. Oftentimes, cybersecurity is a very kind of uh, dour or worrisome topic. Um, but what are reasons for optimism in this space? Well, surely chat GPT is going to fix everything anyway, right? Isn't that the, the current trend? Of course. Of course. <laughs> I, I'm not, yeah, I, I, that's going to solve every problem in my personal and professional life immediately, Absolutely. right? We're all going to just live lives of luxury. Um, I mean, I think, though, in all seriousness, right, the, the AI that we see, whilst it's not AI in a kind of the sense that we all think of AI, um, I think we are going to see benefits from that in the cybersecurity space. So I think that will certainly help. I think the fact to be honest, to be honest, right, that there are there are a lot of people who actually are trying to solve these problems. I think that that has has helped us in any problem we've ever tried to solve as as a species, I guess, right? So I think the fact that we have 
small companies, large companies, public companies, and, you know, trying to solve these issues. I think that's the cause for optimism, right? Because as long as someone keeps trying to solve it, we're probably going to come across a solution, right? I mean, the government has been improving what it does and how it approaches this, right? So I think we'll see some benefits there. Technology is only going to improve, right? And I think that if we get to a point where the cost of attacking me becomes just so prohibitive to the average attacker, that's where we get to. That's how we use technology. And if we can rise like all those boats, right, all those small companies, get them more secure, and there is work going on in that space, I think that's where where we have some some room for optimism in this. I love it. Mark Stanford with OccamSec, thank you for joining us today, talking cybersecurity in the wake of the uh, Colonial Pipeline attack. We appreciate you sharing your perspective, Mark. Thanks very much for having me again, Chris. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and to our audience, as always, we uh, thank you for joining us, and we encourage you to go out and make it a smart day.